something a little bit different today rather than sort of the traditional homily, maybe see this more as a lesson to the introduction, to the understanding of scripture, but more particularly revelation. Revelation is uh, that word that describes, at least in theology, how God, who is above and outside of this world, reveals himself and his plan for our salvation to us. And so today we are celebrating sort of the apex of divine revelation, the revelation of the Trinity. Jesus comes, the Son of God, to teach us that God is one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is something that is beyond our human reason's ability to understand or even grasp from created realities. In order to understand the Trinity, we need to have this revealed to us by God. But the question, though, becomes, why is it that God, Yahweh, decided to wait so long to reveal this true nature as Trinity? We had the centuries preceding that we see in the Old Testament. Why didn't he reveal it before? Well, the reason is something that we call in theology the divine pedagogy, pedagogy. Pedagogy is sort of the philosophy of teaching. Why God chooses to do this, I have no idea. It is in his mind, but he thought it, found it suitable to reveal his true nature as Trinity much later on. But he did it in stages. And this is what we want to look at today. According to Israel's ability to understand or to grasp these truths, he revealed his true nature in stages uh, over the course of the centuries. And so, yes, we can look in the Old Testament, beginning with Genesis, ending with the books of the Maccabees, and see how God very gradually revealed his true nature and his plan of salvation to Israel, to his people. And that is very, very valid and important. We need to be able to take scripture, the canon of scripture as a whole, and sort of see it chronologically as God reveals himself. But the fact of the matter is, and this is something that may come as a shock to a lot of people, that the books in the Old Testament were not written in chronological order. Wasn't the Genesis written first and then Maccabees was written last? Many of the books were written at different times over the course of many centuries. And in fact, even within certain books, there are different authors who quite potentially wrote at different centuries after hearing the oral traditions passed on from generation to generation, finally committing them to the written word. And so this is much more for us to be able to analyze than we have time here. So if we're going to really see how God gradually reveals himself, then we're gonna be able to see it outside of the chronological context of scripture to see where the different passages come from and to see how God reveals. So leading up to that ultimate revelation of the Trinity, we're gonna see that there are three basic stages of revelation. I am painting in extremely broad strokes right here. The first is that Israel, before God chose to reveal himself to Abraham or to Moses or to anyone, was arguably polytheistic. Polytheistic means many gods. They were just like the other pagan people around them 
in the Levant area, sort of Israel, with Mesopotamia. They all had different gods, a pantheon of gods, and the people who prefigured Israel, the same people, they would have been polytheists. But the next stage, once God begins to reveal himself to them, most scholars will say, and you can see some evidence in scriptures, they're what we call henotheists. A henotheist, and this is a word that I didn't even know until just a few weeks back, means that you recognize, yeah, they may be a bunch of gods, but this is the God for us. You other people may have your own gods, but this is our God. Maybe he's a better God than your God. That is their very primitive understanding, which is sort of tied to another word called monolatry. Idolatry is the worship of something. Monolatry means that, yes, there may be other gods, but we are going to worship this one God. This is the only God worthy to worship. And so an argument he made for the first early years or centuries of Israel, they were henotheistic and they were monolatrous. This would have been the second stage passing from polytheism. But ultimately, God wanted to bring them to the point of what we call monotheism. Monotheism means there is only one God. All those other gods are false, they're fake, they're idols. There's only one God, and you can worship only one God. Most scripture scholars will say that Israel began to be monotheistic during and after the Babylonian captivity. Again, this is one of the problems. that we, we study this stuff very basic in our seminary studies. A lot of the times we don't communicate it to people. It's the history of Israel. That in the year about 597, the Babylonian Empire came into Judah with Jerusalem as its capital, conquered it, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and sent all of Israel into exile for about 40 years in Babylon. So for a couple of generations, these Israelites were away from their homeland, and they were working for enslaved by the Babylonians. And what was happening is they were intermarrying with these pagan people, and they were beginning to adopt a polytheistic view. They were beginning to believe in all the Babylonian gods and the Babylonian myths. So the Lord inspired the priests, because the priests were also exiled, to come up with specifically a new creation myth. A creation myth. Again, not wanting to get into some long discussions here, but Genesis 1, 2, and 3, which we know are the creation myths, there are actually two of them. The first one is Genesis 1, and the second one is Genesis 2 and 3. And the first one was actually written after the second one. They both contain a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of differences and some pretty clear contradictions. The problem is, and this is something that I talk to the students all about all the time, most Catholics have a third grade understanding of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. So when we're saying that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are myths, it does not mean that they're false. It doesn't mean that it's all a lie. It is a genre, a type of writing that people used, primitive people had creation myths, to communicate much deeper truths. 
it's not supposed to be read as history as you read a textbook today. It does indeed potentially contain certain historical facts, but it's there to convey a deeper message. So what is the deeper message, at least of Genesis 1? Remember, this is when God is there, there's nothing. He creates the light and the darkness, the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the animals, and finally creating man. What is the deeper purpose? Well, I'm going to really suggest, for your summer reading, some of you might want to pick up this book. It's called In the Beginning, A Catholic Understanding of the Story of the Creation Fall. It is written by Pope Benedict XVI, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, so it's nothing crazy. You can get some stuff that's much more detailed, but this is a good introduction, where he talks about how we as Catholics should understand the opening parts of the Bible. And he explains that when Israel was in Babylon, they would have encountered the Babylonian creation myth, a myth that we know is called the Enuma Elish. We actually only found it about in the 19th century. And I'm going to give you a very brief understanding of this myth. Basically, there are two gods in heaven, a male god and a female god. They come together, as the gods often do, and they have a bunch of little baby gods, demigods, deities. And there, what happens is, so there is a fight, rebellion, as often happens in these pagan myths, where some of the gods get very angry at the big gods and start a war. And the leader is a guy named Marduk, M-A-R-U-D-U-K. And Marduk is the one who promises the smaller gods to fight Tiamut. Tiamut is the dragon god of the waters who was the female god who helped to create the world, the, uh, the, the other gods and demons and angels. Well, they fight, and Marduk wins and cuts Tiamat, Tiamut in half and basically uses the body of this dead dragon to create the firmament, which is the sky, and the earth, which is what we live on. And then he takes all the other gods and says, now that I'm the boss, you're going to be the sun, you're going to be the moon, you're going to be the stars, you're going to be doing all these different things. As a lot of the pagans believe that the different celestial deities were actually gods. Well, they're like, hey, we're gods. We don't like this. We don't have to work. Can you do something about it? And so Tiamut says, and Marduk says, I will do something about it. He takes the dead body of one of the generals who rebelled and takes his blood and from the blood from this demon god's corpse creates man. Man is the one who's going to go do all the work. So everybody's happy. Well, this is what the Israel, Israel is beginning to believe. And so the Lord inspired the priest or some priests to write a counter-creation myth. Does it sound similar? Where it's similar, but it's a rebut clearly stating for the first time a clear monotheism and a radically different understanding of the human person and a radically different understanding of creation. So now, for Israel, there is only one God. He stands apart from creation. There are not a bunch of other gods, clearly monotheistic. Number two, and this would have been a shock to people, the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets, they're not gods. They're created by the one true God. Number three, Creation comes as a result of reason, out of nothing. 
everything is perfectly ordered. It doesn't come from the Congress of a man and a woman God, nor does it come from war. Number four, creation is good. It's good. It doesn't come from the body of a slain dragon. And number five, human beings are good. We are not created out of the blood of a dead warrior, but from the breath of God breathed into clay. It is a radically different vision that had not been seen in the ancient world at that time. And it is God clearly leading Israel to monotheism, which developed a little bit over the years, but ultimately paves the way for Jesus to be able to reveal the Trinity. One God, three persons. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because, at least I find it interesting, but we are educated Catholics. We're at a university parish. We need sometimes, besides being edified and inspired, to learn some of these very basic things that we learn in the first year of seminary so that we can deepen our faith. It doesn't mean we should question the inspiration of scripture. It doesn't mean we should question revelation, but it gives us a deeper understanding of how God chooses to reveal himself to us. He understands that maybe we can't understand everything at the right time. It takes a little bit. It takes time to reveal things. Just as you as parents understand, you can't drop all the facts on your kid when they're six years old. You need to let them get a little bit older so they can understand the details and the intricacies of the truth. It's not a lie. It's not false. There are truths contained in it, but the Lord constantly guides his people to that deeper understanding. And so now we have the fullness of revelation, the end of public revelation, that we grasp that God is a trinity of persons. No longer polytheists, henotheists, monolaters, are, and we are monotheists, but we understand the complexity of God as revealed in Jesus. So I really want to encourage you as Catholics, not only today to give glory to the Trinity, but also to spend some time, and I can offer resources, getting a deeper understanding of the origins of scriptures. We're not fundamentalists. We don't take everything literally. I'm not trying to say that the Gospels are myths. It's a totally different way of looking at things, nor am I saying are myths completely false. But we run the risk of being adult Catholics and having a third grade understanding of the Bible, which makes it very easy for us when we're challenged with different understandings or with history to say, well, we've been lying to our lives and abandoned the faith. That's the last thing that we want. I firmly believe that we as educated Catholics in the 21st century can go deeper, can understand the details of the origins of scripture, and as we understand it, grow to a greater, a greater and stronger appreciation of our faith and love for the Trinity. Amen.